0: where my handle is at Turkey Hitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 229, Soft Calling with Scott Ellis. And I am your host and the guy who assisted with the harvesting of a gobbling wild turkey tom this weekend. And today, we are 43 days, 1 hour, 7 minutes, and 26 seconds away from the end of spring turkey season in Alabama. Normally, I have a story to go along with that little teaser that I throw at you guys at the beginning of every show, but the little teaser today is actually going to be a big teaser because I am not going to share the story of the successful hunt from this weekend with you guys until next week needless to say it was a very exciting hunt and it was great to knock the rust off and get back in the saddle I'm going to be very quick today because it's turkey season and I've got my friend and listener to the show Scott McDonald coming to hunt with me this week I've got to help Scott get an Alabama bird so he can get one more state knocked off his list of states that he needs to kill in. Scott and I are kind of swapping hunts with each other and I'm looking forward to hunting with him again this week after hunting with him this past weekend. Hey, I've got an awesome interview lined up for you guys this week with Scott Ellis. And for those of you who do not know who Scott Ellis is, where have you been hiding? No, seriously. Scott began competitively turkey calling in 1992, and at 17 years old, in his very first contest, he finished second in the senior division of the Florida State Calling Championship. Scott has won over 90 open, friction, owl, and gobbling divisions in 14 different states. That includes top five finishes in the 2010, 2014, 15, and 16 Grand National Seniors Open and the 2014 U.S. Open. He has won three Grand National head-to-head championships. Scott is also the creator of the Turkey Tech app and Hunt Quest and the Mouth Call Magic One and two DVDs, which are instructional DVDs that show the viewer how to be a better caller of wild turkeys. Hey guys, one thing real quick. Have you ever had a brain fart? Well, I had a brain fart while I was talking to Scott, because Scott asked me the name of the author of Illumination in the Flatwoods, and he said, it's Jim Hutto, isn't it? And I said, yeah, that's right. Knowing that it was not right, but I couldn't remember what is right. And of course, you guys who have read the book and followed this podcast for quite a while know that his first name is actually Joe Hutto and not Jim Hutto. So excuse the brain fart in my interview with Scott. And for you guys who've never heard of the book, Illumination in the Flatwoods, you really need to check that one out. Illumination in the Flatwoods by Joe Hutto. I do not think you'll be disappointed. It is a great story. So now, let's get into the interview with Scott, and I'll see you on the other side. And I'm rambling on a little bit, but here's Scott, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey guys, I am very excited to tell you that I have on the phone with me today, Scott Ellis. And Scott's been around the calling circuit for a day or two, and is... pretty pretty accomplished turkey caller in the competition circuit and a pretty accomplished turkey hunter when he has a gun and camo on. <laughs> and so we're gonna jump in this thing and talk to Scott about soft calling turkeys and how that can really help benefit us and close a deal on a stubborn old Longbeard. So Scott, how are you and where are you today?
1: I am fantastic, my friend Thanks for having me on here, Andy. I really appreciate it. I'm in Central Florida, where I call home, and we're having a stellar start to our season. My son, Jake, is tagged out in Florida.
0: Wow, (laughs) uh, good deal.
1: He shot a nice gobbler on the opening weekend of the Florida South Zone hunt. And then Saturday, about 7 o'clock, right off the roost, called in three hens, gobbler in tow, talking to the hens, This, this this will correlate very good. what we're talking about because uh i never got aggressive to the hens that i was calling in i was very very soft and subtle to them i was not aggressive and then he finished the deal and tagged out in florida on saturday morning about about 20 30 minutes after daybreak and i actually was managed to harvest a gobbler at midday in 85 degree heat Hmm. in the south zone for the opener which was two weekends ago last weekend
0: march
1: 3rd march 3rd yep and down in south florida so And then called in another bird for a buddy. So we are got four birds under our belt in the three weekends of season in Florida. And I work for a living. I love to do what I do in the industry, but I work a regular full-time job. So everything I do is based around weekends and vacation time. So I never want to give the people the impression that I am hunting from daylight to dusk for 75 days of the season because that is not what I do. I wish I could do that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) yeah
1: but that's not what I do, so I manage it i as accordingly and do the best what I can with the time I have and the property I have, so
0: yeah, even the people that are full time in the industry that we see on these a lot of these videos that have been doing it forever don't get to hunt seventy five days all day every day, you know, so right. that that's the thing I think it's a misconception that a lot of us have when we see these guys because you know you watch a series a season long series of t v shows that might be 10, 12, 15 episodes, and you think, man, that's all that person does is hunt. But no, they have office time. Yeah. Well, all
1: I can say is I hunt a lot less than they do, buddy. That's all I can say.
0: Oh, I'm I'm sure of that. And I can relate because I have a full-time job as well. I have about six full-time jobs, but we won't talk about all those. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your two biggest projects that you are working on which are turkey tech and hunt quest and i also want to hear how you got into turkey hunting
1: oh my gosh turkey tech is just another instructional tool that i've put together for turkey hunters and to create i think more interaction and more excitement in the world and legacy and tradition that we all know as turkey hunting i think one of the things outside of winning a lot of turkey calling titles and shooting and calling in a lot of turkeys has just been the fact that my youtube channel started about 10 years ago and i was just doing instructional videos to help people Mm -hmm. and my my premise has always been if i help people to become a little bit more successful in the turkey woods then we'll create longevity and we're going to get people that will continue to turkey hunt and buy hunting licenses and buy camouflage and buy turkey calls and turkey loads and turkey guns and it's going to help to perpetuate this legacy this tradition that we love is spring gobbler hunting or even fall turkey hunting for that matter and that's what started it for me I mean I've been calling for a lot of years and I've written articles I was a writer for a lot of years And Turkey Tech has taken all this that I've culminated over 35 seasons now and put it into a singular, simple app, which is video instruction, audio instruction, printed tips that talk about the call that we're creating, when turkey hunters use it, when turkeys use it. Mm -hmm. It's got a recorder built in. And more importantly, the most important fact about Turkey Tech is that it has wild turkey audio in it. So you can literally record yourself on Turkey Tech, my app, available on Google Play and the App Store, okay? You you can record yourself and you can loop it to wild turkeys or loop it to me. And I'm not, not trying to be pretentious or anything, but, you know, I, I've learned to master the language of the wild turkey and reproduce it pretty successfully. And you can do that. You can loop your calling against my calling or the wild turkey. And as well, you can learn about it from the printed tech tips that are there in the app. And it's I'm just super proud of it. Because there's not a lot of apps out there that's like that. There's apps that, that reproduce a call with some fellow running a mouth call. Um, there's very little of anything of actual wild turkey audio, and you get the best of both worlds in Turkey Tech. To expound upon my Hunt Quest show, it's on YouTube. You can just go into YouTube and search Hunt Quest, and it's a lot of great hunts with family and friends. My son Jacob, who is now be 13 in July 12. He, I carry him as much as I can carry him and get him, get him out of school. <laughs> <And> that, <laughs> that becomes a challenge, you know, as, especially yeah. as he gets to 7th and 8th grade. When, it, when he was a little bitty, it was a little bit easier to get him out of school. Now it's getting harder and harder to carry him on these trips. We're actually right now trying to figure out a way. I'm trying to get him to Nebraska with me to go up mm-hmm. in Nebraska and hunt. The we got high, the place we're going to hunt hybrids, you might get a white miriam. You might get a creamy hybrid you might get a caramel rio you don't know what you're going to get but it's a lot of birds it's a lot of fun but hunt quest is just that it's real hunting we sprinkle in some deer hunt some hog hunt some duck hunt we sprinkle in a little bit of everything it's predominantly turkey hunting but we do a little bit of everything and i'm real proud of the show it's just trying to chronicle a everyday guy hunting with friends and family hunting public land hunting, hunting some private land hunting some outfitters, a little bit of everything. And it's just going out in the woods and keeping it real and seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly of hunting. It's not all the best kill shots. It's not all the best perfectly focused footage. It's right. just the real thing when you go out to the woods with a video camera. And I think Will Primo said it best, it's not Hollywood. You know, it's just you're out there hunting, trying to capture something in a natural environment, in a natural state, and things go wrong. They go wrong every time I go out there. With a camera in my hand, it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And you get some good stuff, you get some good bad stuff, you get some perfect stuff. But if you can just embrace the hunt, then you're going to enjoy the show. So check it out, Hunt Quest.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, before we jump into the topic, I want to see if you're willing to participate in a little contest. And I know you're a competitive guy, so you, the answer is probably yes. But I'm going <laughs> to ask you anyway if you want to participate. So I've got a little segment in the show that I like to call the rapid fire Q&A. And what I do is I have 30 questions that I'll go through and ask and I'll ask them as quickly as I can and you answer them as quickly as you can. And I'm going to put a timer on you and me. And (laughs) when you finish the last question, I'll stop the timer and we'll compare to see how you did with the other guests that I've had on the show. Is that something Absolutely. you're interested in doing? All right.
1: Oh, you know that. I'm not going to back down from a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I would never so, do that, my
0: friend. Here's what you're shooting for what and who. The time to beat is two minutes and 45.11 seconds, and that was Tony Reynolds. So okay. we will, I'm going to start well, was the time
1: answers off. relevant. <laughs> <laughs> I can spout off a lot of BS. I'm just saying. <laughs> I understand, no, no. I understand. Yeah, I'm, I'm two minutes and 41 seconds for uh, for 30 questions. All right, well, we'll yeah. give it all we got. Does all this right. require just talking or running a call at the same time I'm talking?
0: Oh, no, no, no. Just just your answers to just general questions, okay. typically about preferences, about different okay. things. So. I'm in. Man, all right. We're going to whip him. Got That's what I like to hear. That's the attitude. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to start the first question and hit start on the timer at the same time, and we will go here in just a second. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Grilled. Wild turkey on the rocks, neat, with cola or with water?
1: Cola on the rocks.
0: Number of Grand Slams?
1: Four. Have
0: you ever killed a bearded hen?
1: Negative. Never killed a hen turkey in my life. Have you ever
0: killed a Jake? Yes. Yes. A 10-minute successful hunt on a two-year-old bird or a four-hour long wait with a clean miss on a four-year-old bird?
1: Two-year-old all day, every day.
0: Favorite camo pattern?
1: Mossy oak.
0: Wild Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog?
1: For dinner. The thighs are amazing.
0: More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest?
1: Three in my turkey vest.
0: Less. state you killed your first turkey in florida the state you killed your last turkey in florida Sitting a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot i never hunt blind, so run and gun and never squeeze the trigger rios or osceolas rios rios or easterns rios rios or merriam's merriam's public land oh, wrong question fields turkeys or woods turkeys
1: woods turkeys Every time.
0: Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight or beads?
1: Uh, holographic red dot. I'm a red dot guy.
0: Rubber boots, leather boots or snake boots?
1: Rubber boots.
0: Favorite place you've ever hunted?
1: Nebraska, Northwest Nebraska.
0: Most turkeys you've ever killed in a season? 16. Least number of turkeys you've ever killed in a season? 1. Out of all the states you've hunted, which state has the most uncooperative turkeys? Florida. <laughs> If you only knew how to imitate one turkey sound to call turkeys, what would it be? Plain yelp. On a scale of 1 to 10, how good of a turkey caller do you think you are? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am a 6. Oh,
0: uh, come on. <laughs> favorite turkey hunting book?
1: Favorite turkey. I'm sorry, you broke up. Favorite turkey yeah. hunting book? Fa- yeah. Um, um book. The one from, from Hutto, from uh, Jim Hutto, uh, the guy, uh, yeah. Reflections of the Flatwoods? Yeah. You know what Who, I'm talking about? My life as a turkey. Yeah. Jim Hutto.
0: Yeah. Yes. Who taught you how to turkey hunt? Me. Think of the toughest turkey you ever hunted. Did you ever kill him? Yes. Do you prefer long, sharp spurs or long, thick beards?
1: Long, thick beards.
0: Biggest mistake new turkey hunters make?
1: Overcalling.
0: How long does turkey season last in heaven, and what is the bag limit?
1: I hope it's Infinity.
0: All right. Illumination in the Flatwoods.
1: Illumination in the Flatwoods. Yes.
0: Thank and you. yes, I could see how that would twist you up. And yes, I definitely see how that's your favorite turkey hunting book because it is mine as well. And I've just finished the Old Pro Turkey Hunter. Uh-huh. And I've got to say, I really like it. So it's a very close second. And I'm also going to put, of course, the 10th legion in there as a very close third. So very cool. Did I tell you your time?
1: No, you did (laughs) not.
0: Oh, okay. How about two minutes and 59.44 seconds? So I lost. That's pretty strong. I'll give Uh, you, I'll I'll give you like, I don't know, third runner up.
1: (laughs) Do I get a participation ribbon or something?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's in the mail.
1: It's in the mail. You know, the thing I'm about that that I love about Illumination in the Flatwoods is just a story about a guy imprinting wild turkeys. The other two books are two gentlemen that are very well respected in the turkey hunting world, but it's very opinionated. Yeah, We all tend to be very opinionated, I think. I, I, I do the same at times. I've read excerpts of both books, and I'm not really turned on by some of the philosophies of some of those fellas. I would just rather read something pure and simple about a guy telling a story about literally living with wild turkeys for a full season until they became mature. And then they decided that they weren't going to be buddies with Jim Hutto anymore. And um, I'm I'm correct, right? Jim Hutto. Is that right?
0: Yes, correct.
1: Yep, Jim Hutto. So, you know, we all have opinions. I didn't agree with all the opinions that I read with the other two books that were mentioned. So I'm not going to say that's my favorite read. The other one I had nothing to disagree with other than that, that man learned the language of the turkey, and he spent every single day with those turkeys until they were old enough to realize that maybe they should not be hanging out with him anymore. And that, to me, is just a better story than somebody that has developed what they think is right or wrong about the art of calling and the legacy of hunting wild turkey. So that's just kind of where I stand with that. I agree with some of the, guy, the stuff those guys said, and I disagree with a lot of it they said. So I'm just not going to be that's not going to be my favorite. So sure, we can move on, but that's kind of my p- philosophy. On the wonderful story about Illumination of the Flatwoods. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's an amazing story. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I watched know it several that,
1: times. The whole video. Yep.
0: Yeah. I, I've, I've read the book numerous times. And then finally, I actually interviewed Jim for a podcast. And before I interviewed him, I, I said, well, I'm just, I just need to watch the TBS Spe- not TBS, the PBS special. And yeah, right, right. I watched that and I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then when I get him on the phone, he tells me, well, you know, that sabologist down in Florida, we just happened to look alike. That was not me. And I said, yeah, I did notice that. And I noticed how much right. you guys do look alike. It's really uncanny. And so right. he told me a, that they basically re. Enacted the entire thing and re-imprinted turkeys and right on down the line. I, I, so it to, was a
1: fair, fairly good reproduction of yeah. what his book was. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's really wonderful to hear from him because you know it, it is just amazing that the, the video that he shot with the other wild animals in the in the video and mm-hmm. you know some some of the vocals and the audio that he that they captured was pretty amazing. So if he is if, if he's giving it his stamp of approval on the validity of it all that was, that was that was awesome then because that's what hooked me first before i ordered the book off amazon and bought the book Is yeah. i saw my life as a turkey on tv i own the dvd i have it i can go watch it <laughs> and i cry every time i see uh what was the name of the old hen that died that guy killed on the nest
0: what was her name uh, there was there was actually two of them but it was his favorite one uh oh what was her name oh my gosh i'm so
1: embarrassed right now. Well. The one I'm, that was killed on the nest broke my heart. And then and then when Turkey Boy attacked him after yeah. he became mature at the end, that was very sad too because you know what? He he was just another gobbler to him. He was a male. That's right. know, And that's all that happened there. That's all that happened. But in at
0: any rate. Yeah. It's very cool stuff. Very cool. It is. So I do want to talk a little bit about soft calling today. And with the soft calling of course, you know I'm talking about the quieter, more subtle non-aggressive types of calls that we make or use. And I've got some questions about some of the types of the soft calls that we use in our hunting setups. But first I want to ask you to give us a few scenarios of when you use, when you actually use it, when you actually soft call, what scenarios are are you using that in?
1: Exactly, well, you know, the easy answer is a hung up gobbler. That's the one you hear over and over and time and time again. And that's one of the first scenarios that I like to use soft calling, clucks and purrs, whines, soft yelps, bubble clucks. Not mm-hmm. not full on, bassy, raspy clucks, bubble clucks that I hear Easterns and Osceola's do at close range. Now Miriams and Rios tend to do that type of clucking all the time. Let's differentiate here the different subspecies. But Osceola's and, and Easterns do it very close and very softly. And they don't, when they're not inquisitive and they're not looking for something, they're very soft and they are very bubbly. You just don't hear it as much because it is so soft and you're very often not close enough to hear it. Mm-hmm. Another great scenario where I love to use soft calling is on pressure turkeys. Because what I have found, I learned to hunt Osceola turkeys on public ground and in the early, mid-80s we'll call it, in central Florida. Right as the boom of turkey hunting really started. When all the restoration efforts at the NWTF took hold and turkeys were showing up everywhere and turkey hunting videos just started coming out, it started to really create this mass hysteria of turkey hunting. People were going nuts over turkeys and calling turkeys. And I learned hunting public ground alceolos in central Florida that you can't very often get loud and aggressive as you'd like to get because they hear so much of that yap, 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 cut, 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 yap, 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 They hear that over and over again. So what you do is you scratch in the leaves and you cluck and purr and whine. Now, back in those days, I can honestly say I did not learn of the whine until about a decade ago. But but I would cluck and purr and bubble cluck and very soft yelp religiously. And very often, those off-yellow turkeys would not say a word when they came in, but they would come in. Mm -hmm. They would come in looking, and they would come in looking hard. And you would have to be watching. You have to keep your guard up. You were not being lackadaisical, you had to really be up on your game, or I can't tell you, i bumped several They came in, I'm I'm natural voice calling, just for a disclaimer here, and all of a sudden, you know, I might have been moving around, trying to throw my sound, picked my hand up, all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, you, you, you turn your head, and what happened, you see that long beard bouncing off as he walks off into the swamp, because he came in quiet and never said a word you got his attention he heard that soft calling he was convinced there was actually a hen there and you bumped him because you weren't being stealthy enough and quiet and still enough so that's two great scenarios another one I can correlate this to calling to the hens and I don't know if it's necessarily just soft calling but it's simply not over aggressively calling and I've got to give my dissertation about calling the hens when you realize a gobbler has hens and you want to talk to those hens never ever 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 get confrontational and challenge those hens with aggressive yelping and aggressive cutting right off the bat just talk to them with soft clucks and very light yelps because at that point you're not challenging the hen if that hen is the coy shy hen you're okay if it's the aggressive hen she may start cutting at you and getting nasty and want to come whip your butt then you can raise your game up you can get your elevate your excitement level if you get that hen started on that excited stuff with just when you're basically soft calling, she starts getting mad at you even though you're soft calling, then you can raise your game up. Okay? But never, ever, ever engage the hens with aggressive, confrontational talk. It will pay dividends in the long run because that's when you're going to try to call the whole, whole flock of hens in. They may want to be inquisitive. The boss hen may not be aggressive. She may not be confrontational. She's just going to come over and say, Who's this girl over here? Well, she sounds real sweet. I'm going to come over and talk to her and meet her. If you start cutting and getting nasty with her, and she's that coy, shy hen, what is she going to do?
0: Yeah, she's going the other way. and taking She's that going the other way. Her with her.
1: Nobody ever misses that question, my friend. Andy, yep. nobody ever misses that question. So just be civil. Be non- confrontational. If she elevates her excitement level and her aggression level, then you can bring yours up a little bit. But you're going to do yourself a favor if you never get too aggressive too fast. So that's three good scenarios where soft-calling and, and kind of middle-of-the-road calling with hens and not getting aggressive paid dividends in the terms turkey wood.
0: Yeah, very good. What are some of the types of soft-calls that we should be using in those scenarios you just talked about? And I'm probably getting very simple with this, part B to the question, but what messages or emotions do you think those types of calls are going to represent to that flock? Well, the beauty of it is,
1: I mean, remember this. Turkeys convey excitement and emotion level based on volume, pitch, and cadence. That's my theory, okay? Mm -hmm. Take it to the bank. You believe it or disbelieve it. It's it's volume, it's cadence, and it's pitch. So when a, a turkey is just calling soft, he or she is very content, and everything is okay in the world. If she starts elevating that pitch from above, bubble cluck to a more higher pitch type call with a little more volume, a little more speed. She's conveying more excitement. And that would be, let's just call it clucking and purring and whining and feeding, contented calls. Then she decides to get a little more aggravated. She might throw in some sharper clucks or cuts with some aggravated purrs, not fighting purrs, some aggravated purrs with some cuts, maybe even a little quick yelp, fast rhythm yelp, which is an excited yelp. She's getting a little more excited. And then from there – She's going into fast, loud, aggressive cutting and very loud, aggressive, fast rhythm yelping. And then from there, you could go into fighting purrs because two hens are having a squabble. And that mm-hmm. literally, those couple of tips can convey a lot to the language and the emotion that you put, the inflection you put in your calling. I mean, I've got a mouth call in my hand, and I can kind of give you a rundown if you'd like me to of what we just discussed on a mouth call. I mean, if you think it's covered and people get it, that's good, but I'd be happy to demonstrate it.
0: You got a mouth call. I want you to run it.
1: All right, let's run it. So we're talking (laughs) the contented stuff, the soft stuff. Yeah. There's nothing excited about that. Very Mm -hmm. soft, very subtle. That's a feeding hen. She's just communicating amongst the flock usually. Now from there, we can take it to the next level where she might be getting a little bit excited she might get a little agitated, so you're going to throw a little louder clucks with a little rasp. We're going to get a little louder with those curs, and we're going to even throw in a little bit more excitement in the yelping. So if she's getting a little ag- aggravated. Something, something has ticked her off, something she's not agreeing with, she's not agreeable with. A little more aggressive on the purrs but not a fighting purr from there we're going to go into she's pissed off she's aggravated there's another hand that's challenged her or she's challenging another hand she's going to cut and excited you go. And then from there, we're going to go into fighting purrs, and that's when two hens squawk squared off, and they're in a squabble, and they're going to get nasty and loud. And that's this full-blown, aggravated two-hens fighting. Now, we didn't go into gobblers fighting. And that's going to be some whining thrown in there and some gobbles even but that was kind of hand talk from being content all the way up to being purely aggressive and aggravated
0: yeah very good i like that you mentioned one of these sounds a minute ago but what are some i'm going to call them turkey calls even though they're not really turkey calls but what are some turkey calls that we can make in the woods that are not turkey calls per se and they don't necessarily have to be used in soft calling situations because you just talked about a situation to where you know the the turkeys can be aggressive that i think we can throw some of those other sounds in but what are some of them that you like to use
1: well with the really really soft stuff is i pick up a stick or i take the wing that i tote around in my turkey vest and i do the one two three rhythm one two three scratch 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 so i'm clucking and purring i'll pick up a stick or i'll use the wing that's in my vest. like i said i'll and I'll be scratch, 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 And I'm using my natural voice to get the impression across. But yeah. those are sounds that turkeys make when they're feeding. And not only is it a vocalization, as you stated, it's a turkey sound. From there, I love to do a fly-down cackle when I, I got a gobbler on the roost. And I'm just emulating. i got to give a grunt. Great example of that. Last Saturday, whenever we're talking to Jake's gobbler, he was on the roost. I owl hooted. He gobbled a few times. We knew where he was at. I started tree calling to him. He wasn't, wasn't very responsive. When it got about hard daylight, I gave a fly down cackle with my wing, and we little did we know he had hens with him, and the hen, the trees came alive with the hens. So I did a fly down cackle. I took my wing and I, I sm- I'm smacking my arm right now, which is what I did with my wing. But yeah. just to give the idea is I. And that was the wing on my arm. When I did that, those hens went absolutely berserk and were chatty. They were cutting. They were yelping aggressively. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who is this girl? Who is this chick? So from there, I worked those hens a little bit on the limb, and they flew down. And I called the hens over, flew two fences. The hens came to me looking to see who the new girl was. Did I ever cut and get aggressive, Andy? Negative. Now, I never got nasty with those hens. I just yelped and clucked very politely they never got aggressive after they got on the ground. They never were aggressive, and they would yelp to me, and I would yelp to them, and then they closed the distance. They brought the gobbler in tow, and Jake pulled the trigger and made the shot. It was a beautiful thing. It took about 30, 45 minutes for off the roost. Um, another great sound besides the fly-down cackle and the wing is when I gave that fight that I just did with two hens. You can do the same thing and do it with gobblers, and you can throw gobbling in it, and you can throw the winds in it, and you can beat that wing on your arm and flog your arm, if you will, to emulate two gobblers fighting or two hens fighting, and that's another great sound. You can also take that wing and just kind of, when you have a gobbler on the roost, you can kind of rub it along the bark of the tree because very often turkeys are right next to the tree trunk, their their own limbs, and you can hear those feathers sometimes grab the wings or grab the branches in the bark and rub against it. You hear the ruffles and the different sounds. You can do the simple flap, a two- to three-note flap because they tree hop or they're stretching their wings when they wake up in the morning. You can just pop your wing. You can be tree calling, oh, 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 oh. like she just slapped her wings and woke up, and she's stretching. Mm-hmm. All of these things with that wing and scratching in those leaves are great tips to use to add realism to your sequence that is not a vocalization.
0: Yeah. A minute ago, you kind of walked us through the different emotions and what those emotions may sound like coming from turkeys so how do we know when to take a gobbler from aggressive to soft calling or vice versa and what's the best approach to try to change his mood or i should say the mood that we've set in our initial calling approach to that turkey? That's
1: a great question, my friend. Great question. I always start with the basics. I always start, whether I'm just talking to a gobbler or I've made the assertion that the gobbler has hands, I'm going to start with the basics. I'm going to plain yelp and cluck, two main communication sounds of the wild turkey. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to yelp fast. I'm not going to yelp loud. I'm not going to yelp real raspy. I'm not going to have very fast cadence. I'm just going to start with the basics because very often, Often, if you've got the right turn, basics, all it ever takes to bring that gun, that bird in the gun range. Now, if that bird starts to hang up and he gets out there 80 yards, and he was, and all you ever did was plain yelp him, that's when I'm going to start cutting a little bit at him. Okay, hmm. I'm going to get more aggressive with him. If, if that doesn't work, I might go silent. I might not say anything. It's all based on how quick he moves towards me and how much he gobbles. Because very often, again, you start with the basics. You start with plain. Yelping every minute, he's coming. You never do anything else, and you and you kill the gobbler and this game over, and you're a hero. Or he gets out there at 80, 90 yards after you've done those basic yelping sequences, and then he hangs up. So then I raised it up just a little bit. I yelp a little faster, a little more excited. I throw a couple cut notes in there. Maybe he pulls in 20 more yards, but he's still a little bit far. He's a little bit far to shoot. Then I'm gonna possibly either get more excited. It, it's a, it's a cat and mouse game. At mm-hmm. that point, you can get more excited or you can get quiet and go and then get into this clucking and purring and the whining and the soft stuff. If you can get away with movement, you can scratch in the leaves. For me, if I get him in there right at the cusp of gun range and I haven't got too aggressive too quick, then I'm going to get super aggressive. If that doesn't work, then I'm going to shut him down. I'm going to bring his emotion level up really high. I'm going to cut. an excited y'all. I'm going to cut. an excited y'all. Hopefully he's hammering. He's hammering. He's hammering. And then guess what? I'm going to shut up. Nine out of ten times you do that, and you can sit there for 10 or 15 minutes after you brought his emotion level up really high. He will come looking almost, I'm telling you, I'm going to say, I'm going to say eight out of ten times. Yeah. When you get him to close that far, and then you bring his emotion level up, and then you get quiet, he is going to come. If that doesn't work, then I'm going to pretend like I've lost interest. I'm going to cluck and purr and whine and scratch in the leaves. If I can get away with the movement, I'm going to scratch in the leaves and act like I'm now disinterested. I'm just over there feeding that's also going to drive him nuts. So it's all dependent on, there's a couple of key factors that I gauge my calling. If that gobbler, Andy, if that gobbler's 300 yards, I'm just telling you now, if he's three or 400 yards away, and for whatever reason, I feel like I cannot move closer to him, I'm going to call loud and aggressive and fast and excited because I have to gain his interest from a long distance. If yeah. he, we already have established that he's closer, then I can do basically the scenarios that I just gave you. If he's closer, I don't have to get as excited off the bat. I can do the basic stuff, get him to close the deal, and then come on in. But if he the further he is away from me, without me being able to move on him, the more I'm going to get aggressive. Now, if I can move on him, Andy, and move into 150 yards instead of 300 yards, then I'm going to sit down and do the basic stuff. So a lot of it is based on how far he is and how much he gobbles. I don't know if I made sense there, but I, I gauge a lot of it in on repositioning on the bird. Because we all know whether he's on the roost or you strike him on the ground, if you can move a little closer to him, you're going to up your odds of success. So if you can get closer to him, then I'm going to be basic. If I if he's way far off and I can't move to him, I'm going to get aggressive and loud and try to grab his attention and get him coming. Once I get him coming, then I'm going to tone the calling back, back a little bit and catch and mouse with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So in those situations, when he's coming in, are you toning it back a little bit just obviously to cut your volume back so you're not necessarily screaming at him but right also kind of in hopes that it will continue to bring him in because i i think or at least my experience is when when i'm sitting in the woods and i'm calling and i'm keeping the same volume to a turkey in my calls who may be 200 yards away as i am a turkey that's 70 yards away that seems to hang that bird up at 70 yards and i i don't necessarily know why. Right. But, so. Which
1: is why I said as I, I peak his interest, what did you say, 150 yards, 200 yards? Yeah. If I get him going and get him fired up and I peak his interest, then I immediately will scale my calling back and play cat and mouse. Because one of the things I do, I don't run decoys. Okay? Yeah. So when I don't run decoys, You have to play what I call hide the hen and if you're screaming at him at 150 yards he's going to be able to pinpoint you a lot better than he is on top of the fact you're trying to relax the bird and not get too aggressive too fast once you get him coming then I play cat and mouse I'm trying to get a little quieter I'm trying to bring his emotion level down just a little bit and I'm trying to react on what he's doing by by closing the distance from that long distance to that short distance okay so if he's Closing that distance, there's a very good possibility he's gonna be looking very diligently for that hen. And if he's looking very diligently for that hen, if I'm screaming at him, it makes him even it makes it even easier for him to locate my position. And whenever you don't run decoys and they don't have something to lock in on, you have to basically tone it down and have him searching. If you go watch Hunt Quest on YouTube, I don't run deeks. You'll see these gobblers, like ninety-nine point nine percent of my turkeys that you see I shoot on my show. Are looking. They're not coming in, locking on a target. They're not distracted by a decoy, and that's you can't. Like you said, you can't scream at them as they start closing that distance. It's futile to do that because one, you could hang him up, and two, he may not come in at all because he's trying. He'll be able to figure that he can see that hand that's screaming at him. If he hears a hand and he thinks he can't see her, then it's going to cause him to play cat and mouse a little bit more and cause him to squeeze in a little bit tighter and a little bit tighter and a little bit tighter. And then when he does get to where I, you, you feel in your mind, in your heart, that he should be able to lay eyes on the hen that he's hearing yelp, he's in gun range, and you shoot him. It's that simple.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So can you share with us the story of your most recent successful turkey hunt?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes, sir. It was two weeks ago on the opening day of the South Zone in Florida. I'll start the morning off as quick as I can. We had a lot of fog. It was in the upper 50s, so it wasn't horrible temperatures for Florida. You know, it was decent, very foggy. I heard some hens, called up some hens, never heard a bird off the roost about it. I said, I told my buddy Clay Watkins, I said, when that fog burns off, off these per- these birds will end up out in this. We were on the edge of a big oak hammock, mm-hmm. which is typical for Florida, live oak hammock. And out in front of us was a big pasture area with wet, air, with wet areas, what we call sloughs. And then all the way across this pasture, probably a thousand yards, was another oak hammock. It was in the shape of a horseshoe. And I said, once the fog burns out, the birds are going to end up in these fields, start doing their thing, and we're going to strike a bird. Well, the fog burned off. I was running my uh, Woodhaven Ninja tube, which is one of my favorite calls to run for locating. We slipped out of the edge of the oak hammock where we set up. And long story short, we struck a bird with the tube call. We couldn't course him. It was really bizarre because it was open terrain with an oak hammock to our back, and we couldn't course him. We finally coursed him, got kind of facing the right direction, barely sat down. I'm I'm doing an interview on camera, and Clay goes, well, there he is right there. And he was 150 yards coming around the the head of this hammock, and we could not pinpoint. We thought he was out in the field behind an island of trees. Long story short, he came right in. It was a beautiful hunt. It'll be on the show next year, and uh, no decoys. Um, You'll see what I did without Decoys is something Andy, I tend to do is you cannot call openly if you're in an open area when you're calling a bird without a decoy. You you can't you can't put the sound there to where the gobbler thinks he should look and see a hen. If he can deduce that hen should be standing there, he doesn't see there, see her there, what's he gonna do?
0: He's either holding where he is or he's gonna wander off.
1: He's gonna hang up there you go. Perfect. Thank you, sir. He's gonna hang up and look and go, where, where are you at? I hear you, but I don't see you. I mean, they, they have an amazing ability, their natural instincts and their ability to hear and their sight allows them to know when they get to a point where they should see something they hear. So I cut the calling back and when he pressed it around that corner, I literally was able to get my hand up and, and put my hand and turn my calling behind us, which is a very effective, that's a whole podcast really, to be able to throw your sound of your call and mm-hmm. bubble the sound of your call I threw the sound behind us. I think I yelped once. He got behind some broom straw in front of us. One time, I clucked and purred, and I don't think I ever said another word. And the bird closed the distance from 150 to 35 yards and clay him. Now, my bird was simply set up in the heat of the day at 1250, and I was running multiple sequences. I was doing hen fights. I did a lot of Jake yelping with half gobbles. I would answer the Jake yelps with the half gobbles with some high-pitched, distinctive hen yelping. So that made it sound like there was a hen engaging with some jakes that were half gobbling at the hen. I set up, when I blind call and I set up and it was hot and we were in the shade, I love to give sequences. I love to give two different hens. I will give a hen cutting on a pot call and I will cut on a mouth call. It's not like two hens in a squabble. I will do some lost yelping on a mouth call, which is 20, 10 to 15, 20 notes of of basically like an assembly elk. It's lost yelping. It's a hen looking for company. She's not lost. We know turkeys don't ever get lost, but she's lost from the flock and she's looking for company. These long series of yelps with a lot of inflection, throwing some clucks, giving the impression there's a hen looking for company. I will do some kiki runs and mix it up with kiki runs and and some of those lost yelps. Um, I will do cutting sequences with excited yelping just to emulate an excited hen. So all of this is over a period if you did this in an hour every hour i probably give a different sequence every 10 minutes or so and all that's doing is putting turkey sounds and vocabulary and scenarios out there and it's mixing it up it's adding realism and you're giving a smorgasbord if you will of different types of turkeys and flocks that are that are out there doing their thing in the springtime and and a gobbler could encounter any one of these scenarios as he's easing through the turkey woods. And every one of them, more than likely, outside of maybe maybe the kiki runs and stuff, which I've had success with, the hens fighting, the jake yelping. I've done gobbler fights and gobbled, cutting and excited yelping to hens that are getting into a, a, a pissing match, if you will. Mm-hmm. Every one of those sequences are something they encounter in the fall and something that would that would potentially pique their interest and want them to come wander over to see what that's about. So mix it up, add realism. Don't do the same thing over and over and over and over. That's the worst thing that kills people in the woods when they're running a turkey call. I don't care how good a caller you are as far as your tone and your control. If you can mix up your sequences to cutting and yelping to some longer series of yelps to just clucking to clucking and purring, if you can just mix those sequences up, you're going to be more realistic to the wild turkey than you are if you get repetitive. Repetition kills realism. So that's what I did after giving a couple of those different sequences. I think I did a hen fight. I did some Jake yelping, and then I did just some sexy yelping and cutting, and we struck the birds. Okay, I think it was the sexy yelping and cutting. I struck the birds. It was two together, and there was some thick cover in front of us. They gobbled good two or three times. They went silent. If you have a gobbler that gobbles really good and goes silent and you have thicker cover in front of you, always remember that gobbler could be wading through that cover and he's going to shut up. He's not going to gobble if he's waiting too thick cover. And you just keep your eyes open and listen for that spitting drum and be looking for that tail fan because he's probably going to be slipping through that thick cover looking for you. That's what happened to these birds. The last time I heard them gobble was probably 100 yards away. And I go, Taylor, my, guy, my camera guy I said, Taylor, keep your eyes peeled. They're on their way. And it went five minutes later. We saw the fan and the strutter, and he was with the other bird, and they showed up at, I don't know, 30 yards. And I made the shot, and boom, we're on the board in Florida for my uh, opener for the south film hunter. So I just mixed up blind calling and setting up stationary with a lot of cool scenarios and stuff that a gobbler would encounter in the spring and entice him in a gun
0: That's awesome. I love turkey hunting stories.
1: (laughs) Sorry to get long-winded. I was trying to add every little, you know, those little bitty tidbits or or sometimes what somebody picks up on, and they decide to do it. And then I get a message on Facebook or, or on my website or go, I did what you did on that podcast, and it worked like a charm. And remember this, Andy, all of these scenarios and these different techniques and these different setups, the deeper your bag of tricks are, the more three-dimensional you are, three-dimensional you are as a a turkey hunter, the more things that you can throw at the turkey that may or may not seal the deal. But if all you know is to go out there and stroke that box call and throw some cuts out, you're going to kill turkeys every now and again, but you're never going to be highly successful at turkey hunting. Always use different tactics. Never be afraid to try something new. Never be afraid to move. You might bump a turkey. It may happen. But at least you took a gamble. You said, you know what? This bird is out here at 90 yards. Uh, He has not been closing the distance. I'm going to reposition. I'm going to gobble at him. I'm going to stage a jake fight. I'm going to stage a hen fight. The more of these bag of tricks you have, the more turkeys you will kill. It is just, I've done it for 35 years, and all I can say is it worked really well for me over the last 35 years.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, you hit the nail on the head. I don't have any doubt about it. Scott, man, that is all that I've got for you. I know you've got to get out and record a video before it gets dark where you are. and. <laughs> I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule today to chat with us and share your knowledge with us and tell us some stories. I love it.
1: I really appreciate you having me, buddy. Anytime, I love I love talking. And I love, I love to, to share the things that's been successful, successful for me because if you go to the turkey woods and you don't walk away learning something, then you're probably selling yourself short. And every season, yeah. after 35 seasons, every season I walk away with a new theory or I come up with something else that maybe made a difference and the success or failure of a particular turkey hunt. And if you do that and you keep that open mind, I don't care how good you think you are at turkey hunting, you're gonna learn something.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Good deal, sir. Yes, I'd love to have you on again in the future and let's stay in touch. And I wish you a lot of luck the rest of the season and be safe out there as well.
1: Thank you, Andy. Anytime, buddy. I'll keep you posted on the success of the season, my friend. Thank you very much.
0: Sounds great. Have a good evening. All right, goodbye. There were some great tips in that interview, and I really appreciate Scott taking time away from turkey hunting, spending time with his family, and work to chat with us about soft calling. You know, soft calling is something that I have really been working on pre-season this year, and I actually learned how to whine on a diaphragm call watching Scott's video about that very topic, and Scott really kind of breaks it down and makes it easy to understand And while I haven't quite perfected it yet, I have learned that I can do it pretty well and consistently using the right diaphragm call for me. And two of those calls that are the right calls for me are the calls that I got from Ben Carlson. So that's been pretty fun. I like learning how to use a caller better. And I like learning how to use new callers as well. I am sure you guys picked up a little something from Scott. And, you know, in my opinion, soft calling is extremely important to be more believable in our calling scenarios and to oftentimes get that tom that's hung up out there at 60 yards to close the distance and come on in and check things out. Anyway, thank you, Scott, for your time and for your sharing of information with us. All right, I need you guys to do a favor for me, please. If you would, go to the I Am Turkey Hunting Facebook page and tag a friend in the post for this week's show. If you would do that, tag... Actually, if you'll tag a couple of hunting buddies for me, that would be awesome. Also, do the same thing on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is at turkey. And if you'll do that, retweet the tweet, and mention a hunting buddy or two on Twitter, I'd be very appreciative. It's a great way to spread the word about the show. And, you know, the person that you share this with may be running that diaphragm call or that friction call this spring. And use some of these tips and tactics that he's learned from this podcast from Scott To help call a long weird end for you. So it'd be a big help for me. And it might end up being a big help for you. If you get to squeeze the trigger. So that's all that I've got for you guys today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. And I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in.